The following talk was given at the Insight Meditation Center in Redwood City, California. Please visit our website at audiodharma.org. So we'll sit together quietly uh, for a little while, and then after about maybe 10 or 15 minutes, I'll offer some suggestions for uh, some reflection and recollection, some guided imagery. So just letting you know that that's coming. And so for the first part of our time together, I just invite you to use whatever practice feels most settling and calming for you. And this might be feeling the sensations of the body sitting. It could be noticing sounds, sounds as they come and go. For many, this is receiving the sensations of breathing in and out, just quite naturally. You may have a loving-kindness practice that you find soothing. That's also quite welcome. And just taking care to be gentle. Balance of allowing things to be, allowing them to unfold, while gently guiding, gently guiding our attention. more and more into the present moment with a sense of curiosity and care. There, I'd like to offer some instructions and suggestions on a recollection practice that can be used A practice of recollection is one in which we consciously and intentionally use our thinking mind rather than letting thoughts and images go. We take a very simple thought or image and turn it over, examine it, explore and connect with it, like picking up a seashell on a vast beach. You don't pick up all of the shells, you just pick up one shell, hold it in your palm and turn it over, feel its weight, See its color in the light. 
And then you let that affect you. You let it touch you. So in the practice of recollection, we could say that there are three parts. There's the seashell, which is a certain thought or an image. That's that's the first part. The second part is its quality, the qualities of that particular object. And the third part is dwelling, dwelling in it, really taking it in and receiving it. This will become more clear as as we move forward. So for the first recollection, I invite you to Think of a place, a physical place, that has been a source of sanctuary for you, a source of solace, comfort, connection. See if you can allow an image of that place to become clear in your mind's eye. If you don't happen to be a very visual person, it could just be the sense of the place. So this is like the seashell. And now begin to notice its qualities. What's it like for you to remember, to think of that image? Just notice how it feels. And then the third part is to soak that in. Let the effect of that wash through you. like dropping food dye into a glass of water. You just add one drop, that's the image. And then 
Slowly you allow that color to seep into the glass of water, filling it up. So we're not thinking about the image or the place, but we're just using that. create a certain effect, a certain resonance in the mind and the heart, and then allowing ourselves to fully receive that. And if it fades or the mind begins to wander, simply coming back to that image, holding that seashell, to use the analogy I started with, seeing the image, feeling its sense, allowing the quality of it to touch you and then slowly fill you. How does it feel to remember being there or to imagine being there? Letting the connection with this particular place fill you. And if you like, allowing that image to fade and just coming back to the sense of sitting, breathing, coming back to neutral. So it's as if we've put that particular seashell back down, but there might still be a lingering effect from having connected with it as we sit quietly.
I'll offer one more suggestion. Like we're picking up another object off that shore. So this time inviting you to recall someone who has shown you kindness. Someone who's been a source of support or care. This might be someone from your family, grandparent, aunt or uncle. Could be a teacher, a mentor, elder. person to come to mind internally, seeing their face, seeing their eyes smiling at you. And again, if you're not a visual person, it's fine to just imagine what it's like to be with that person, getting a sense of that. And noticing how that feels to see or sense this person's presence in your mind's eye. This person who has shown you kindness. Who's been loving and affectionate, caring towards you. Holding the image and letting it in. As we see the image, it's like striking a bell. And then we allow the resonance to fill us.
allowing yourself to soak in the qualities, the effect of recalling this person. Just receiving. Allowing their care their love and acceptance to support you to fill your whole being Once again, allowing their image to fade. Some of the effects may linger, coming back to just sitting, feeling the body or the breath, hearing sounds.
you. Yeah, yeah. It's always awkward to see some. We don't communicate about that, and someone gets something from the. I'm I'm sitting here today and very happy to be here with you, and uh, my sincere apologies if you came this morning longing for silence, a silent sit, and then here's this guy sitting here talking for 20 minutes during your meditation. So I hope that wasn't too disruptive for some of you. I've certainly been in your shoes and. <clears throat> It's a good way to study attachment, <laughs> though that wasn't the intention. So here we are on Sunday morning, February 14th, which has been decreed by Hallmark <laughs> as a uh, time to celebrate love. So uh, why not? Right? It's better than celebrating shopping. So they try to get us to buy things because of it. So um, I thought I thought I would talk a little bit about about love and uh, explore this um, powerful and mysterious experience of human life. So what is love? <laughs> what is this thing? so important to us. I think for many of us, we, we grow up um, thinking about and experiencing love as a feeling. Love is a feeling. And uh, here in the West, coming out of Western civilization, the, uh, the Greeks had many different words for love. I did a little bit of general uh, reading last night, thinking about this. And depending on who you look at, some say, "Well, there were four different words," and then someone else says, "Well, there's six, or and you put them together, and you get seven, because <laughs> they don't all overlap. But um, it's very interesting. So you know, one that, that we're most familiar with is uh, eros, right? Which is uh, Sexual love, this sort of sexual passion, erotic love, very natural uh, experience for us as as sensual beings, as humans. Uh, then there's uh, they talk about a kind of love that's uh, sort of the deep friendship that can be shared in human life. It's characterized by a sense of loyalty and sacrifice. It's called philia. There's a certain love that shows up in family life, a kind of affection for one's family. The word in Greek is philia. You can see the root there coming into family. I'm sorry, no, that's philia is friendship. Uh, storge is uh, affection for family. Uh, agape, which some of you are familiar with, is in the Christian tradition, this, uh, gets good good press in certain sects of Christianity. Uh, agape is uh, more unconditional love, selfless love for all, which is probably more akin to uh, metta, loving kindness in the Buddhist tradition. And then there's uh, other kinds of love, a sort of a playful love that children experience or the um, that playful energy and uh, 
the early weeks and months of a romantic relationship, young lovers, um, pragma, sort of a, a long-standing and enduring love, the kind of love that develops over time in an intimate partnership, a marriage. Um, and then a certain kind of self-love that can be sort of an unhealthy narcissism where we become obsessed with ourselves or a more healthy version of a self-love, very much a sense of inner kindness and acceptance. So all these different flavors of love as these, these feelings that we can experience in different relationships and different configurations. So this is one way of, of understanding love. Another way of understanding love is as a need, right? As a human need that we all we all long for and thrive on being seen and accepted and shown kindness. And there's this, you know, amazing. <laughs> fact that we've actually scientifically demonstrated that we need love. Why one would need a scientific experiment to, to prove that kind of baffles me, but um, you know, it's been shown that infants, human and primate infants, will die without love, without touch and affection and mirroring. It's called failure to thrive. So love is a need, and it extends into our adulthood. Though, so sometimes we uh, can get disconnected from that need, can sort of try to protect ourselves or wall off from experiencing the vulnerability of really acknowledging, you know, well, this is part of being human: is this longing to receive kindness to receive a sense of friendship and love and care. So love is a need. And then there's, uh, in the Buddhist context, uh, we talk about love not so much as a feeling, though that can arise, but more as, as an intention as an attitude or an inclination in the heart and mind, as a certain quality or state of mind. So it's that movement of the heart towards caring, the inclination, the attitude to not cause harm, to put it in the negative. Sometimes in the text it's referred to as non-ill will. So when there's not a sense of ill will in the heart, and the natural response is care, is kindness, is love. And this, this quality of care is, I think, part of what makes our lives rich and meaningful. This potential to care for one another. In the Tibetan tradition, this is very highlighted with the, uh, the saying and the understanding that other beings are the source of our happiness. You think about what's made you the happiest in life, what's brought you the most joy. 
Isn't that usually connected with another human being? With giving to someone else or receiving from someone else? So this way in which we're intimately connected with one another and how some of our deepest and most fulfilling experiences in this world comes from our relationships, from our connections. This intention towards kindness is an essential part of our meditation practice. You know, mostly we hear a lot about mindfulness and awareness. But kindness is... an indispensable counterpart to awareness. We don't, uh, we don't get very far in our meditation practice if we don't have a sense of kindness towards ourselves, a sense of gentleness. Uh, Deepama, one of the great meditation masters of uh, the last century, in the Theravada tradition, uh, she is quoted as saying, when you're mindful, aren't you also loving? And when you're loving, aren't you also mindful? So, so that they're, they're connected. There are these two sides of awareness, of knowing and caring in our practice. One of the, one of the powerful contributions of Buddhist uh, meditation practice is the insight that our hearts and our minds can be trained, that they can be shaped, that through intention, through patient, repeated, steady intention, we can actually start to have an effect on the functioning of our hearts and minds, the content of our experience, the way that they move and relate to events internally and externally. So the Dalai Lama, His Holiness the Dalai Lama said, if we were aware that we all contain love within us and that we can foster and develop it we would certainly give it far more attention than we do. Hmm? So this, this uh, potential to be loving is present in each of us. And we have the tools innately. We're, wired, we're, we're, we're built with the, with the capacity to strengthen that, to actually deepen it. So that instead of just becoming a feeling that shows up every now and then, or a need that's met or not met, or even a certain attitude or inclination that arises in relation to those we care for, those we've defined this circle, of okay, these are the people who I'm going to love and everyone else will just try to avoid them. Uh, instead of that, that it can actually become an orientation to life. A, a resource internally for how we're actually living. So there's this possibility of cultivating a heart that that defaults to kindness, 
that actually has as its home a sincere and genuine wish for others' well-being. And, and how lovely, I mean, how, uh, how uplifting to come back to that place as home rather than all of the other inclinations that we tend to spend time with, a sense of disgruntled or slightly irritated or rushed or hurried or annoyed or impatient or you know, all of those other um, attitudes and inclinations that tend to color our experience. So uh, the Buddha said there are two kinds of rare beings in this world. One who shows kindness and one who appreciates it. So one who is kind and one who feels gratitude. Two kinds of rare beings. And to me, this shows the connection between the two kindness and gratitude, how they're, they're connected, and that in fact, it seems to me, we need to receive love in order to uh, know it, right? Coming back to that sense of, of what infants need, you know, as, uh, as humans, that the, the way that we're actually born, our brains aren't fully formed or developed. We need the sense of a relationship for our nervous system to grow and form properly. So we have to receive love to know it. In, uh, in the Buddhist tradition, one of the, one of the primary ways of cultivating a loving heart, of strengthening this inclination towards kindnesses with metta practice, metta bhavana, loving kindness meditation, which uh, I'm sure, guessing many of you are familiar with. Uh, I think there are probably some programs here where you can come and learn that practice. Uh, today I wanted to offer uh, a different practice that uh, is not as... Uh, commonly talked about or explored. And we began to look at this in the guided meditation that we did using recollection. We think about how we know kindness, how we know love, how we receive it. Whether it's from the simple moments of connection we experience in a day, Someone smiling at the store or holding a door for us or us offering the same to them. Uh, To uh, friends or family in our lives, people who've shown us kindness. Um, There's actually within each of us a huge source of support and love. Uh, kind Kind of like a well or storehouse of inner strength that we can draw upon and know this experience of love. And this is, this is through uh, our connection with uh, our ancestors, uh, with our lineage, 
And, and each of us has a lineage. In fact, I'd, I would suggest we have more than one lineage. And I'll, I'll talk about that in a minute. In the, in the Buddhist tradition, one of the ways this is explored is, or a corollary of this, is the refuges, the three refuges, Buddha, Dhamma, Sangha, uh, the, the teacher and the vision of awakening, the possibility and seed of enlightenment within each of us, the path and the teachings uh, that um, help us to realize that, the Dharma, the truth, the way, uh, and the Sangha, the, the, the qualities of goodness among the people and community that practice a sense of connection and support and strength from those relationships. So the refuges are one way that we can connect with a sense of strength and support and love really inside. But we each carry as well in our own being our own lineage, our own lineage. So the most obvious of these are our blood ancestors, our parents and grandparents before them. All of the generations of mothers and fathers who, who gave, who worked and cleaned and bathed and fed and supported children. So there's there's this kind of train of connections extending back through time in each of us, through our ancestors. And how connected are we with that? In Western civilization, we're not, we don't tend to have for the most part, a strong connection with our family roots. There are exceptions. Um, certainly in white culture, it's not emphasized. It's one, of the, it's one of the fictions of whiteness, is the construction of an identity that's separate from culture and, and, and ancestry. If you look at the construction of whiteness historically in, in time, that was one of its functions, was to erase the sense of connection with history. So if you, if you identify as white, this might resonate with you to see, oh, well, who are my ancestors? Where do I come from? You know. um, for me, though, my, my skin is white and I, I pass as white in our, in our society. Uh, my ancestors are Jewish. So it's a particular kind of flavor of whiteness. Jews, Jews became white sometime in the 1940s or 50s. We weren't white before then. That's true. Actually, a certain law that was passed, and then, okay, you, you guys can be white now. You can, you can buy homes and get loans and so forth. Um, you know, Irish weren't white. Italians weren't white. You go back in, in, the in the 20th century, and you can see each of the categories that were expanded to include whiteness. Um, so I have a certain connection with my ancestors through, through that. Um, so who are your ancestors? 
my, my partner is half Chinese, one of the things in many Asian, and particularly East Asian cultures, is a sense of connection with ancestors. In each home, there's often an ancestor altar. And so we recently, in our, in our home, just the other night, uh, put up a shelf in, uh, in, the, in the foyer, where you, fancy word for the hallway where you walk in, um, with the intention of, of creating a little altar for both of our ancestry mine and hers and as a way of honoring our connection with the, those that we've come from and the sense of support and love that can be received when we are aware when we are connected to our ancestors to all that's been given to us in our family and this is, uh, this is a part for, for those who um, looking at this statue up here, listening to me talk and going, well, what does this have to do with the Dharma? Uh, this, is, this is intimately connected with the Dharma. The Buddha talked a lot about the sense of relationship with our family, the duty to show respect and care to our parents and our family. Um, the Mangala Sutta, the Sutta on the highest blessings, there are a number of Lines in there that say, um, you know, honoring mother and father, supporting one's kin, this is the highest blessing. To have a sen- that sense of connection and uh, giving with our relatives is one of the blessings in life. And, you know, I want to I wanna be uh, realistic here. Family's complicated. Um, not all of our family relationships are... Um, characterized by love. You know, the tragedy of abuse, these things exist, right? Uh, and it's, so it's not to... Uh, uh, glaze over those realities or pretend that they don't exist, um, but, to, but to look beyond them. Not in maybe in that person, but in the, in, the, in the lineage. So if you have a complicated relationship, say, with one of your parents, uh, there's the possibility of seeing, well, was there kindness there also? Not to erase the damage that was done or the harm that was caused, but to not also miss what was given. And if that's not accessible for whatever reason, or if it wasn't there, and in some cases it's quite painfully not so, to look beyond that to the grandparents or even to those you didn't know before, those who came before us. So this is one of our lineages, our blood ancestors. Another, another one of our lineages, there are three that I'll talk about, another one is our spiritual ancestors. So those who have opened our eyes and our hearts to a sense of deeper meaning in life, to the sense of of using our time here 
to grow and mature our hearts, to grow in wisdom and kindness and compassion, our spiritual ancestors. And so for some of us, this may actually be a spiritual or religious teacher, a rabbi, a priest, a Buddhist teacher. For others, it may come in other forms. It, it might be it might be a professor or a school teacher who opened your eyes in a certain way. It might be a family member, an aunt or an uncle or a grandparent who really showed you something about life. It could be a mentor in a certain trade or field. You know, this, this quality of spiritual friendship arises in many different settings. But knowing and connecting with who are our spiritual ancestors, what is our, our, our own lineage of awakening? Our own lineage of awakening. And to not stop with one person, to see, to, to through the power of your mind and your imagination, to see the beings who came before them. That's the strength, that's the, that's the magic of lineage, is seeing the sense of connection through time, all of the beings that have come before us. So this guy might be in your, your spiritual lineage, if the Buddhist tradition speaks to you. And that's a tremendous source of support to take the Buddha as one of your spiritual ancestors, as someone who has affected you, this person who lived 2,500 years ago, 2,600 years ago, that you can feel a sense of personal connection with him. Every teacher who sat on this platform here in this room has received these, myself included, has received the teachings that are shared in this space from a teacher before them. And they have received those teachings from a teacher before them, who have received those teachings from a teacher before them. So my teachers are connected with Ajahn Chah, with Mahasi Sayadaw, with Manindraji, So these are some of the, I, didn't, I studied with Manindraji, I didn't study with Ajahn Chah or Mahasi Sayada, but my teachers did. And so, so through the connection we are connected with, through the relationship we are connected with beings of tremendous spiritual power. And when we reflect on this, when we take time to really look in this way, it becomes a source of support for us. It becomes a well of love and strength within us that we can carry in our lives every day, knowing where we come from, knowing where our body comes from. Those are our blood ancestors. Knowing where our awakening comes from, where our heart and mind's Wisdom qualities and compassion qualities come from. These are our spiritual ancestors. The third lineage that I want to talk about today, and, and then we'll do uh, an activity together, is um, 
our land ancestors. And this is perhaps the place that for most of us, or many of us, uh, we feel the greatest sense of dislocation in modern society. We're no longer connected to a sense of place. We grow up here, then we move there, then we move here. I think the statistic is something that the average American moves five times in their life. How do we have a, a connection with a sense of place when we're moving around so much? Or when the land that we live on, you know, the history of the land that we live on, particularly in this country, which was uh, stolen by force from the people who lived here before the white settlers came. So we can develop a sense of appreciation and connection with the very land that we live on. Learning more about its history, its geography, its ecology. And again, this is a source of strength for us because we are, we are connected with the land. It's what gives us our water and our food and our air, right? I mean, it's we're breathing it, we're living it every day. But we don't know this. We don't live with this awareness. And that's a, it's a tragic loss to not have this awareness. Because there is a well of support available to each and every one of us in these different ways. That when we live with an awareness connected with these lineages, it, it becomes a source of, of great uh, power and strength and dignity within us. And the earth is loving us, you know. In the air that we breathe, and the food that we eat, and the water that we drink, it's, it's providing the very nourishment for ourselves. What a gift, you know. What a tremendous, tremendous gift of love. Are we here to receive it, to draw support and nourishment from it, not just from our, in our bodies, but in our hearts and in our minds? So this practice that we did, the guided practice in the first half of our morning, invited you to think of a place that's a sanctuary for you. Developing the sense of connection with physical lineage, with geography, and receiving the gifts of that place. To think of a person, a family member, that would be blood ancestors, or a teacher or mentor, that would be spiritual ancestors, that you feel a sense of connection with. And then spending time there Spending time there, contemplating it like that shell in your hand, turning it over, receiving, receiving the effects of that relationship, of that connection, letting it fill you. And then you can take it a step further and reflect on the layers of connection and relationship that extend back through time. So what I'd like to do now is first I'd like to invite you to pick one connection of these three lineages. And I just want to say that this 
these three, this articulation of these three lineages comes from Thich Nhat Hanh. That's where I received it. It's a very beautiful practice um, of uh, connection with these lineages. But obviously the concept of lineage is much broader. So choose one of these, a place, a family member ancestor or a spiritual ancestor teacher. And I'm going to invite us to, to break into groups of three. And for each person to take about two minutes to share a little bit about this person or this place and how it's been a source of support for you. I won't, I won't ring a bell every two minutes, so just make sure someone has a watch and you can track the time and, and take turns. Are there any questions or is anyone unclear about what I'm suggesting? So to choose a person or a place in one of these three categories and just to share a story about them, what they mean to you or what you've received from them, each take about two minutes and then we'll just come together and close. Okay? We could spend a lot more time doing this, eh? So just notice how you feel. Notice how it feels to learn about each other in this way. I don't know about for you, but for me it was very different. Phil and I talked some. Very different to, to hear from someone else about this aspect of their life and to share about my, my life in this way. It's not something we do very often. You know? And yet so uplifting, right? So energizing and connecting. So this is, this is the, uh, the strength of, of remembering and connecting with our lineages. So um, it's actually after 10.45, so I think what I want to do is um, formally close, um, and then uh, is, is it okay if I go over a little bit for anyone who wants to stay? Yeah, okay, so let's just, we'll close together, and then if anyone wants to stay and hang out for another uh, like five or ten minutes and just uh, have some discussion or conversation, uh, we, can, we can do that. So just taking a moment to uh, sit quietly together. And honoring all of those beings, human and non-human, in our blood ancestry, our spiritual ancestors and our land ancestors. May all of the goodness and benefits of our practice and exploration today be shared widely and freely with all beings everywhere, past, present, and future, for their happiness, their peace, and their liberation. <laughs>